Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. So glad you made it here today. Uh, turn to your neighbor really quick and say, man, I'm just so glad you made it. You're amazing. God bless you. All right, turn to your other neighbor and say, 10 more days to glory. 10 more days. Some of you have no idea what I... You all know. Yeah, you know. You know. Well, are you excited to be here today? So glad to be with the greatest church in the United States of America. You guys are awesome. Love you guys. Hey, can we get it out to our worship team? Um, we're blessed to have people who, who love Jesus and love his presence and, and lead us into the presence and the reality of God. So thank you, worship team, for everything. Can we also give it out to all of our media team? They're amazing what they do every single Sunday. And um, man, uh, again, it's good to be here with you today. A uh, couple weeks ago, I was reading an article. Actually, before I do that, I'll give you a title if you're taking notes. I want to talk about the perfect love that casts out all fear. The perfect love today that casts out all fear. I'm going to do my best to answer, okay, what is that perfect love? Okay, everyone say, what is it? So we're going to be talking about the perfect love that casts out all fear. How do we embody that? How do we live that? How do we live a life that's free from fear? How many of you want that? Okay. A few of you, four of you. Okay. That's awesome. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was reading an article from uh, a columnist <clears throat> and uh, it's, it's a piercing satire on our, our culture. Um, broadly speaking, and uh, this is what he wrote, and I think it's, it's, it's apropos when it's related to what we're going to be talking about when it comes to perfect love, and he, he says this, whenever I feel uh, particularly humble, everyone say humble, I tweet about myself, <laughs> right? I've, I've never earned an honorary degree from the London School of Economics, but if I ever did, I would tweet about it hard, and he goes on, I want, I want to let the world know how humble the experience had made me. So I'd tweet about my humility, I'd Instagram my humility, and maybe TikTok it if I could find the dance moves humble enough to make my point. And then he goes on, he goes, here's the first rule. Again, he's being satirical here, he's talking about broadly speaking where our, cult, our culture is at. He goes, the first rule of humility is don't tweet about anything that could actually lead to humility. And everyone said amen to that, right? We all know we curate our most fabulous parts of our life on Instagram. I don't even know what TikTok is and uh, Twitter and other social media stuff. And this is what you don't want to do if you make any posts online, okay? Hear me, okay? Never say, I'm so humbled that I went to a party and no one ever noticed me. Right? You just don't do, you don't do that, right? Uh, never go online and tweet about your humility about being fired from a job uh, because of your incompetence. You just don't do that. Because the whole point of the humility display in our culture and we say this with respect. I'm not trying to like, like hate on people here today, but this is according to this particular columnist, is to signal, the humility display is to signal that you are humbled by your own magnificent accomplishments. We can all, he goes on to say, we can all be humbled by awesome mountains or the infinitude of the night sky, but to be humbled by being Check this out. In the presence of yourself, that is a sign of truly great humility. And then he goes on to say, the second rule of humility is, of course, you can only use humility when you should probably use proud, right? 
For example, he goes like, you, you probably should say, I'm proud to be a part of this incredible list of like under 30, a part of the greatest leaders in, you know, in this influential magazine. Or this is my personal example. This is one day, I, I wanna do this for all of you, okay? I'm so humbled that LeBron invited me to Steph Curry's house so I could hang out with Drake as he throws a surprise birthday party for Odell Beckham Jr., right? This is what our, our culture does. The great thing about humility displays is that you're not trying to show that you're better than anybody else, right? You're just, you're just trying to show that you are a regular, normal person, despite the fact that your life is so much more fabulous than everyone around you. So, and we'll, these people remain anonymous. They're, they're in Hollywood. I want, with respect, we won't even name them. But here's an example of, of, the, of the art of hum, the humble brag. Uh, one particular person goes, I love how people just get so freaked out, out when, I fly, when I don't fly first class. Um, guys, it's a 45-minute flight. Seriously, not worth it. Okay, awesome. Thanks for that information. Another B-list, these are B-list people, okay? Um, not A-list guys, but B-list. Goes, pumping gas in front of the paparazzi. Oh my gosh, this makes me way nervous. Again, this is like, why, why do we even need this, this census information, right? It's the art of the humble brag. Now some of you are like, how does this relate to me? Well, these aren't just random, random things that celebrities at Hollywood do. Right? These are actually graphic reminders or graphic symptoms of the invisible cultural script that we all have been discipled in. You don't have to tweet about your humility. Right? You don't have to tweet that you think you're the most important person to think that you're the most important person in the world. In fact, what's startling about all of this, this little satirical piece, is that over the last, let's say, 50 years, what, what we just discussed and what this particular columnist discussed is a graphic symptom of the great inward turn from God and others to revel in our own artificial sense of majesty. We love ourselves a lot. Okay. Why is that such a bad idea? Like, I've been, love yourself, take care of yourself, right? Self-love, self-love, self-love. That's, that's, that's the narrative that we hear about. And I, here, here's the thing. Of course, take care of yourself. Of course, if you need a massage, get a flipping massage, okay? Uh, if, if, you need, if you need help, if you need, if, if, whatever, if you need to take care of yourself, please take care of yourself, right? We all need to do, eat less maple bars and go to the gym more. Can I get any man to that? Okay, so yeah, if, if that's what you call self-love, that's great. But that's not what our culture thinks when it comes to self-love. Philip Reef calls it the triumph of the therapeutic. Self-love and packaged within that statement is the idea that the individual is priority or takes privilege over any other public institution. Be that marriage, be that the family, be that a house of worship. The individual is the most important person. And our calling in life, if you truly want to be happy, guess what? You got to revel in your own sense of beauty and majesty. You got to find yourself, right? Well, here's the problem with that. When you're so obsessed with yourself, guess what happens? You turn inward. And the more you turn inward, the guys, the more stuff you're not going to like. But how does this relate to love? What, there's just so much that I, I just don't have time today to unpack this. But, but I think this great inward turn away from God and others and toward ourself is the building blocks for fear and loneliness. You see, built into the DNA of fear is obsession over oneself, over against God and his promises and his good word over you. Are you hearing me today? So what's the answer to fear? Well, the answer to fear in casting it out in your life and living a life of flourishing and hope and wholeness. How many of you want to be whole here today? If you want to be whole, 
it is inextricably, that desire is inextricably connected to the perfect love of God. So what is that? We begin in verse 7 of 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from who? God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is? Come on. God is? Is God power? That's a trick question. Of course he is. Is God all-knowing? Yes. Yeah. But what's the greatest of who God is? Love. Love, 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 love. God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, verse 9, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, we talked about this last week, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. What do you think John's talking about? Love. Loving one another. And then we come to verse 12, and we have the definition of perfect love. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So what is perfect love? Well, it starts, as one scholar says, as a circle. It begins with God's love for you and I. Verse 9, John refers to the incarnation. It is God, the second person of the Trinity, who becomes concrete humanity. His name is who? Jesus. In John chapter 1, the second person of the Trinity, the Logos, becomes flesh, becomes a living, talking, breathing person. It's powerful. And he does that by way of giving up his divine lifestyle. So the second person of the Trinity gives up his divine lifestyle, his divine status, maintaining his full deity by becoming Jesus. So what is that divine lifestyle? That's all the incommunicable attributes that you can think of, like omnisapience, which simply means God's all-wise, omnipresence, God's everywhere present, right? Omnipotence, God's all-powerful. It is the second person of the Trinity who becomes Jesus. Are you tracking with me? Becomes concrete humanity, gives up not his deity, he's still fully God, and he's still fully man, but he gives up that divine lifestyle. Psalm 147, it says that God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they name all the stars. It just came out a couple weeks ago. The astronomers tell us that there's within deep space there are a quintillion stars. What? God names them by name? God's the one who built out time and space? Made everything, arranged the mountain ranges and mountain goats, and he's in charge of it all. And he became like one of us? What do we call that? We call that love. He didn't do it because he was all-powerful. He didn't do it because he's some narcissistic deity that wants to show off like his ability to do creative things and creative miracles. He became like us, according to Hebrews chapter 2. So in all respects, he could experience everything that we would ever experience. All the complicated layers of living the human life with all the suffering, with all the torment, with all the temptation. Come on, somebody. Even all the curses. Jesus became like us so he could become our faithful high priest. You see, what I love about our church is that we really emphasize prayer. And what I love about our church is that we have incredible intercessors on the front row that pray for me, pray for you, pray for the city every single day, and they see creative miracles happening all the time. We have incredible an incredible prayer team. Can you give it up for them? They're amazing. But do you know that you have a faithful high priest who makes intercession for you? Oh, my God, every single day? You mean to tell me that Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who's who's sitting in deep throne and in deep space, which basically is he's he's, uh, covering all of and encompassing all of space and time, he is making intercession for you and he's naming you by name? And he can do that because he knows exactly the emptiness that you feel. He knows the temptations that you're experiencing. He understands the suffering 
of human, the complicated nature of human life. And he did all that because he loves you. In fact, he became human because what, what is assumed is redeemed, according to one patristic father. That simply means that God, in Hebrews 2 says this, that God became flesh, his name is Jesus, so that he could bring death through his death. In other words, it's through Jesus that he triumphs through his death over death, takes death, reverses that stinking thing, turns it back on itself, right, overcomes it, so that you and I could have life in life more abundantly. This is love. And then John says, John tells us in verse 10 that this love doesn't stop with the incarnation. And I, the, the incarnation is basically God with us, right? But here's the thing. Without the cross, God simply being with us is like a doctor screaming in agony as we also scream in agony because we have the same sickness. Are you hearing me? Could you imagine being in a, in, in a hospital and you're screaming in agony? Ah! And then your doctor is supposed to take care of you. Is also right next to you going, ah! <laughs> and then you're in, you're in bed. And you're like, doctor, can you help me? He's like, no! Right? Jesus didn't just scream in agony for us. He certainly did. But he's also the great physician that he went all the way to the cross took on the forensic dimensions of the penalty of sin in his body. He took it, he, he, he absorbed it, he didn't let go, and then through his death, he defeated death. Come on, he triumphed over it and he released blessing and life to every son and daughter and those who are called by his name. He took the curse. We've been talking about this for the last six months. But he took the curse that's in your generational line. He took that word that has traumatized you in his body at the cross. He took that, that thing, that sin that was done to you when you were five years old, and he took it in his body and defeated it so you don't have to live enslaved some, to some traumatic thing in the past. Did he do it because he's all-powerful? Yeah, sort of. But he did it because the greatest of these is love. So what is love, right? Love is really simple. It's not passive. Love is active. We do not serve a deity who is somehow in deep space, whose relationship with us is static. Meaning God does it like every single day, and I'm so glad God's not like this. But God just doesn't like sit somewhere in the cosmos and feel loving thoughts about us, but does not do anything. God's love is not just contained within himself. His love is others-focused. God just doesn't think nice thoughts about Mark Thornton. Like, oh my God, Mark Thornton is so amazing. He's a specimen of a man, right? He sings like an angel. I just did really well with this man. Now, Chris, ah, right, you know? But Mark, oh, I just love that guy. But then he doesn't do anything to be with Mark. That's not the God that we serve. As one author said, is like many people, many modern people basically think that God is the God of, I don't know his name, I can't recall, and he's the God who doesn't care. When in fact, when you look at scripture, God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What does that simply mean? God ties himself to a generational line. And he does that because his love is active. It's specific. It's personal. It's historical. It's real. This is why Psalm 34, the psalmist can say, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the love of God is not an abstraction. It's not merely an idea. It's not a sentiment in the heart of God. It is an active presence in our lives every single day. I'm waiting for some amens every single hour. You are surrounded with God's love. Tyler Satan says this, the problem with our culture, and you could trace this back to the, the whole art of the, the modest brag and where we're at culturally in our moment is that so many people, they live from sediment, which simply means is that love for them is a feeling. 
So in his words that you can emotionally invest yourself in the characters of This Is Us, which is an amazing show, and you can like, oh, just be like overwhelmed by the dysfunction, and then, you know, they didn't have their dad, and then their mom at the very end, the penultimate episode, loses her life, and all that kind of stuff. You're like, oh my God, you know, and you're so moved in your heart for compassion for these fictional characters. And yet you can't be moved in your heart for your own family. And you're unwilling to deal with the trauma and the dysfunction in your own life and in life with your kids. I, did I, did, whoa, whoa, some of you giving me glares. Did I go too hard? Right? This is the problem with culture. They don't understand God's love. They understand sediment. They can be moved by love, but that love doesn't move them. Why? Because we're just, we've been catechized into believing, guys, to revel in our own artificial sense of majesty. It's about me, 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 me. So Jesus, we find this a synoptic tradition, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Jesus in his public ministry is defined by one word, compassion. It says that Jesus was moved with compassion. I love that word moved. Everyone say moved. moved. He's not static. He's moved with compassion. Compassion is such a fascinating word to me in the Greek. It means to be moved in your bowels or to be moved, your spleen to be moved. So obviously this evocative word picture is not connoting that Jesus is having a bowel movement. Okay. Can I get any man to that? The, he, the Hebrew equivalent of this means that God is womish as it relates to compassion. So in other words, God as a father, just like a mother in her relationship with her kids, loves us. Moms, do you love your kids? Moms, do you serve your kids like it's no tomorrow? Do you make food and get no thanks? Do you take your kids to the ER at 2 o'clock in the morning because you love them because they drank some toxic poison? Come on. Moms, come on, how many of you love your kids? You love your kids through the poop and the bad attitudes, and you love and love and love. You stay up all night. Dads, we sleep in, we sleep, you know, we go to work. We're, you know, praise be, I'm kidding. Dads are just amazing, right? But moms, you guys are extraordinary, okay? But just like a mom with their kids, so is God with us. He is moved with compassion. In other words, God is womish. Jesus is moved with compassion. In other words, there's this visceral response that happens in the depths of Jesus. And guess what happens? He's not just moved by love and doesn't do anything. What does he do? He acts on it. And when we come to the synoptic tradition, we see Jesus is moved with compassion. And guess what happens? He feeds the hungry. He takes five loaves and two fish breaks it and feeds 15,000 people. He's moved with compassion. What happens? He heals the sick. He's moved with compassion. You can see this over and over and over. The sequence and the, log the logic is just so clear and explicit. Jesus is moved with compassion. And then what happens? Miracle, 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 miracle. Healing, healing, healing. Listening, listening. Right? It's Jesus who's moved with compassion. In other words, compassion and love are synonymous. Compassion is the fruit of love. And compassion is the most relational, concrete thing that brings about the healing, transformative power of God. So I have to wonder if the church, the modern church, has no power and authority, if we're not seeing the real presence of God, could it be that we've lost our first love? It didn't say that there was a miraculous environment and everyone was like feeling some nice, nice, cool, warm feelings. And then Jesus was moved with compassion. No, the entire logic of the public ministry of Jesus starts with compassion and moves into miracles. I, well, what if, what if that's a commentary on the church today? What if the reason why we don't have the power to heal the sick, the power to bring change, real life changing change, in those who are going through so much, could it be that we've lost our compassion in our love? Maybe. But here's the thing. God doesn't love us abstractly. This is perfect love. It starts with God's love for us. And his love for us 
is an action word. Aren't you glad about that? Perfect love casts out all fear. What is that perfect love? It's active. It's tangible. What What does it look like? It looks like when I was 17, diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, and my youth pastor, fiery youth, youth pastor um, named J.O. came over to my house and just sat down with me for two hours and just listened to me. And as I processed all the, these complicated emotions of my future and worry about being a type 1 diabetic and never eating sugar and I can never go to in and out you know, all those kind of things, right? Thinking about being an athlete, how do I, how do, I do that and, you know, be, be a type 1 diabetic and processing all of this and it's J.O. then who listens for two hours, right? And then he prays for me. That, that memory has been etched in my brain. I think about it often and it was one of those formative moments for me that brought healing. He just listened and then he prayed for me. That is active love. What does love look like? It looks like one, there's one man in our church that came up to me a couple weeks ago said, I just, I came to this woman's house and he's in the carpet business. And I went in and uh, she, I looked at her rugs and she needed new rugs, new carpet. And we were talking and then I left and I got this idea from the Holy Spirit to go to some of my, my guys and we raised money and we bought carpet. And then we surprised her like one Friday or whatever, or one Tuesday. And we went in without her asking. We knocked on the door, obviously. And uh, we said, Hey, we're here to totally rip out your carpet to give you new carpets. She just broke down, amazed, right? That is love. What is love? It's active. It's like 15 years ago, however long ago, was when I loved this church. We just... We are a compassionate church. When, when the earthquake devastated Haiti, remember that, and so many lives were lost, and so we had so many of you in this church that came together. My wife uh, organized this group, and I didn't see my wife for 15 days. I still resent her for that, okay? Um, but she was literally here and with a team of you, and you guys were putting together packages of food and baby formula and medicine, and you guys did it so well, and you prayed over this, this crate, and then you sent it to Haiti. Most of the crates didn't make it through customs. This one crate made it to customs and made it to the orphanage and blessed that orphanage. Come on, somebody. That is active love. Active love is listening. Active love is being open to your neighbor. Active love is saying, okay, I got to be a part of a relationship. I just can't come on a Sunday and just sit and listen to a message and just worship Jesus and not do anything about it. And go home, do my thing, do my life, watch some football, and then come back. Love means that you realize that you're going to be part of a relationship. It's kind of like what happened this last week. 26 guys, most of whom did not know each other, decided to sign up. They're a little bit off, a little bit weird, a little bit crazy. Decided to go on a hiking trip up in the Frank Church Wilderness of No Return, right? And they did that. They knew they needed relationship. They needed to build relationship. They needed to learn what it is to love, right? It's active. So they made a decision to sign up and go on this hiking trip and be a part of a small group. Because we know we're built for not love as a sentiment, but love as an action. So perfect love is realizing that God loves us. But then here's the thing. The perfect love that John is stressing here in our passage is not first the love wherein we meditate on God's love for us. It certainly is. There's a component in that. John in John chapter 15 says, Jesus says this, if you abide in my words, what will happen? And I abide in you, you will bear much fruit, right? Right. So what John is saying that as we abide in the words in the presence of Jesus and we understand the depths of his love for us, we'll bear what? Fruit by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the stress is the relational We could even say vertical side of our relationship with God when it comes to abiding with Jesus and his words in John chapter 15. However, 1 John chapter 4 emphasizes the different side of it. The perfect love that casts out all fear is not simply you in a state of sublime contemplation, like experiencing the love of God. 1 John is emphasizing the love that we love others because we know God has loved us. The, in other words, the perfect love that casts out all fear 
is when we practice the love for others that Jesus has loved us with. The perfect love that casts out all fear, anxiety, and shame, all the junk, all the funk. Come on, somebody. All the tragic ways and thoughts that try to dehumanize us, that is cast out of our life when we learn to love like Jesus loves. My father, when we were um, young, and I never understood it back then because I was a raging therapeutic materialist, right? But I, I, I grew up in church and my dad would often say, hey, if you wake up in a funk, here's the thing you need to do. Counsel How many of you would say counseling is really important? Yeah. Yes, if you're going through a mental health crisis, we recommend counselors. We, we recommend clinicians, really good ones, and we can recommend those to you. We also recommend we need community, right? When you're going through something hard, two is better than one. Can I get an amen, church? We need the building blocks of community. We need each other. We realize that in whatever the hurricane of the last two years was, right, that we absolutely need physical, concrete relationships. Can I get an amen? So we need help, right, without question. But mutatis mutandus, with all those respected differences considered, the way you get out of a funk, according to Pastor Ken, if you don't like this, accuse Pastor Ken, send him an email, whatever. But the way you get out of a funk is you got to serve your way out of it. You got to love other people out of your fear. How does that work? What's the logic, Chris? The logic is really simple. Fear turns inward. The building blocks of fear is obsessing with yourself. Guys, I have been through panic attacks. I've been through anxiety. And those are altogether different things. And we need help when it comes to that. But when it comes to low-grade fear and worry and anxiety, the way we get out of that funk, the way we get out of shame, the way we get out of the things that afflict our soul is by thinking of other people. Love turns you away from yourself. And you kind of begin to forget about certain things. And this is not just a psychological trick. This is how love works. And when we perfect the love of God by loving other people, guess what happens? You do this more consistently. Those things that have beset you, those thoughts that terrorize you at the night, those things that haunt your soul that you've never been able to defeat, even the sin patterns that keep you enslaved from the good purposes of God. Over time, those things are removed in your life as you practice the perfect love of God by loving other people. You see, one, uh, two, two authors who wrote um, a book on um, Alcohol Anonymous and they kind of oversee the whole project, the whole movement of AA, et cetera. Uh, one of them mentioned over and over and over, he said, whenever I'm tempted, whenever I'm tempted to, be, to go back to the bottle, whenever I'm tempted to go back in a certain particular sin pattern, I realize the only way that I can upend that is by sacrificially giving my life away. How do we break the power of fear? Yeah, we need help. We need community. But we also need to give our lives away. This is why we come to the Good Samaritan story. Verse 37, we have a certain priest who's doing his thing. He's walking alongside of the road. He sees a man, as Jesus tells us, who's beaten half naked, half dead. So this certain priest, Jesus tells us, he sees this guy. And then what does he do? He passes by. He sees what, what is this whole idea of see? He feels, I think he felt compassion in a certain way. We'll call it sediment. He felt something. He was moved by the sight. But because of maybe the purity world of Jesus' day, he didn't want to exhaust himself with becoming ritually unclean. He decided to pass by this gentleman who was on the side of the road half naked. And then we have a Levite, same thing. He came, Jesus tells us, and he sees by chance this man. And what does he do? passes by. And then we see the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan comes and he sees this man half dead on the side of the road. He's moved with compassion, Jesus tells us. And what does he do? There are nine active verbs 
can't get into all of it, but beginning in verse 34, he binds up his wounds. He pours oil over this man. He puts him on his donkey, takes him to an end, and goes on and on and on, and puts him in the bed, and then gives the, the innkeeper uh, money and tells the innkeeper, I'm going to come back, and if there's anything you need, I'm going to take care of this man. This is by chance the Good Samaritan. There's so much more we could talk about this. But the Good Samaritan is the personification of what Jesus is talking about when it comes to love. The perfect love that casts out all fear is an active love for other people. And I think we need help. I think we need counseling. I think we need good pastors. I think we need good messages. I think we need to meditate on the sublimity of God's love. But what if, what if we just moved from just staying there and meditating on God's love into actively practicing that love towards other people. And we do that over time. What would happen? I think we would experience wholeness. A whole point here, like somebody like, what's the point? Because here's the thing. We, we're all disciples of this cultural moment where everything's about us. And for some of us, it's hard to wrap our mind around the logic of loving other people. It could be because you don't want to be vulnerable. It could be because you've, you've had bad experiences in relationships, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The point that I simply want to make is Jesus is saying, if you want wholeness, if you want happiness, if you want fulfillment, if you want all of that, it's all wrapped up in loving other people. It's moving from a very good thing and meditating on the goodness of God, but moving into a life of sacrificial service. You see, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that our churches or our houses of worship have become places of consumption rather than places of compassion. So we come to church and we consume the message, we consume the worship, we get frustrated when they don't sing my song, we get frustrated with the preacher when he doesn't give an 18-minute TED Talk and he uses language that I don't understand, right? I've never heard anything like that before from any of you. I've never got any email from anybody like that. Anyways, let's move on, right? <laughs> And, and, and if, if the children's ministry isn't absolutely perfect, if, man, I didn't get greeted exactly the way I wanted to be greeted, if I wasn't treated like my individual self and I wasn't privileged, right, I'm going to go to the other church. I'm going to go to the church down the road, right? That is a place of consumption. God is calling churches of worship around this country. If we really want to see a move of God, if we're really serious about the power of God, if we're really ser serious about seeing the kingdom of God crashing into our planet, if we believe that God has called us for such a time as this, if we believe that God still has a plan for this church and for the world, then we got to be serious about our wholeness and we got to be serious about perfecting the love of God by giving our lives away. I could say much more, and I know my, my thoughts are a little bit scattered right, about, scattered right now, but let me say this. What constitutes a good day for you? What's a good day for you, right? Is it having affirmation, which I think is a good thing, right? Is it watching the Raiders lose? That's a good day for me. <laughs> so watching college football, those are good things. Is it comfort? Right? What, what is it? Like, is it pleasure? And all those, pleasure in and of itself is not bad. Comfort's not bad. But if we make those things the point, then they become bad. What makes a good day for a fully mature follower of Jesus? Love. Yeah. Not knowledge. Not just meditating, because I'm the guy, I'm, I'm, guys, I, sometimes I'm like, oh, why did you make me this way? Because I'm just so philosophical. Like, I can meditate on the sublimity of God's majesty. I love it. Let's talk philosophy. There's only like two of you that like to talk philosophy with me. I'm like, God, why did you give me this church? I'm kidding. I love all of you. You guys are absolutely amazing. But if I'm not careful, I can become so obsessed with just being loved and maybe loving God that... I don't move out into the perfect love of God, and that is embodying the way that Jesus loved us. He acted on his love, 
and healed and rescued and listened and gave his life and in a sacrificial way became fully human. That is the model by which we live our lives. That is the model that underscores happiness and human flourishing. Can I get an amen? Amen. So as I close here, what what are several ways in which we can love? Well, first we have to abide. In 1 John, no less than six times, no less than six times does John say we have to abide in the love of God. Again, that love is perfected as we love like Jesus loves us. So we have to learn from the outset that loving, and we all know this, guys, Loving has a cost to it, right? It's funny, my wife and I, when we, were, when we first got married, I mean, we were in love and, and it was amazing. And I'll tell you the, the whole story later. My wife just, you know, she's absolutely amazing. And I remember we got married in September, that January, everyone say January 1st. January 1st. New Year's Day. I, I, I could not understand why my wife didn't understand this, but January 1, all you do is watch college football. And you eat until you put your stretchy pants on. Okay. My wife is like, no, 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 no. We're going to go shopping. And I remember, oh, my God, we're going we're gonna to go to Target? I want to watch the Rose Bowl, babe. And I remember in that moment, I'm like, oh, my God. I have married someone that I will never fully understand. (laughs) And I'm sure she said the same thing that day. Oh my God, I married a freak and I will never understand him. And over time we've realized that, hey, relationships require sacrifice. Built into the DNA of love is sacrificial language. So I know some of us are freaking out and sweating. I'm like, I don't know if I can love anybody. Well, no, 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 no. We all know what love requires. It requires a cost. When you get married, my dad first told me, hey, Chris, when I married your mom, I realized, number one, how selfish I was, and two, that I will never understand your mother, and your mother will never understand me, but that's the point. Because if we understood each other, we would never learn how to love each other, right? And so, and then he said, a a little, in a pejorative way, he said, and then when we had you, I really learned how to love, because you were the worst kid ever, right? (laughs) The point that I'm trying to make is that relationship built into it is this whole idea of, of cost. LeBron isn't just talented, and that's the reason why he's successful. LeBron had to pay the price. Because of a relationship with basketball, right? So cost and sacrifice. Some of us were like, oh no, we can't. I I don't understand. No, no, no. We do it all the time for that which is important to us. So the point that I want to make, if we want to become a church of compassion rather than a church of consumption, then are we making God's love the ultimate point? Or are we drumming up our own significance, our own success, and we're making that the point? Is your success more important to you in a given day than the love of God that he has for you and the love that God wants to work through you to bring healing to the world? Because here's the thing. You can drum up your success. You can, be the mo- you can become an achievatron. And you can become famous. And you can become a celebrity. And you can have all the wealth in the world, but it's absolutely empty if you don't have love. So you're saying, Chris, I can't achieve. Are you saying, Chris, I can't have pleasure, comfort? No, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm simply saying that love is the point if you want to be whole. If you want to be happy. So how do we get into this kind of love? Well, again, it requires a cost. It means that we can no longer be beholden to comfort and the familiar. Isn't it interesting? We find this in Numbers chapter 11. The children of Israel have been rescued from slavery. And now God is leading them into, into the promised land flowing with milk and honey. And then what happens? They, 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 we, have, we come to this moment and they're complaining about the manna. Right? They're muttering among themselves, grumbling. And what do they say? They start talking among themselves. Oh, wasn't it amazing all the leeks and the onions and the garlic that we had back in our slavery? Oh my God. 
they're, they're, making a, they're, they're making a decisive decision collectively that they would choose slavery and the dehumanization of slavery over going in trust and following Yahweh into a land flowing with milk and honey because they did not like feeling the feeling of unfamiliar places. Right? They were prioritizing safety and the familiar over a land flowing with milk and honey. How many of us do this in our own lives, right? Like we're, we're even though we hate the ways in which our addictions dehumanize us, we hate how we get stuck in certain ruts, in certain lifestyles that lead us away from the purposes of God. But because we're so beholden to familiar, to the familiar and to the comfort, and because we don't want to risk, we never get out of our slavery. God's called us not to be a slave people, but a free people. And that free people is defined by love. Love is the greatest of all of these. So how, as I close, how do we love? How do we destroy or erode the fabric of our desire for safety and comfort? It can only happen when we acknowledge the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 5 says the love of God has been poured out into your heart by the Holy Spirit. Hebrews chapter 6 says, have you tasted, in a rhetorical fashion, have you tasted of the powers of the age to come? What is the author of Hebrews saying? He's essentially saying, hey, the Holy Spirit is the one who brings the future world of righteousness, peace, and joy into the present. Are you hearing me? In other words, it's the Holy Spirit who applies all the stuff that Jesus has accomplished on the cross as we abide in the love of the Father. Are you hearing me? It's the Holy Spirit who's the activity of heaven. He's the environment of heaven. He brings the power, the future, into the present of our life. Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23 says, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace. Some of you got it right. I'm going to syntax this a little bit different. I think it's... it's, it's it, it's fair to the original language. It should, I think, be translated, the fruit of the Spirit is love, colon, joy, peace, gentleness, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control against such there is no law. What is that saying? It's the Spirit of God that produces love in us. One. Two. As the Spirit of God produces love, love is the fertile soil by which joy and peace grow. If you're feeling joyless, if you're feeling lonely, if you're feeling fear, if you have a lack of, of rest, like you can't breathe right, your body's feeling the stress, could it be that you're not connected to the Holy Spirit? Because it's the Holy Spirit that produces the fruit of love. And it's the fruit of love as we abide in that that produces the joy and the peace that we all long for. And that is produced or perfected when we love each other. Is this too abstract for us? You see, in Christ, you are baptized. This is where I close. You are baptized into the body, 1 Corinthians 12. You're incorporated in the body of Christ, one, two, you have been made to drink of the Spirit. So if you are a child of God through faith and repentance, guess what? You have been baptized into the Spirit. The problem is, is that there are many baptized Christians who've been baptized in the Spirit that are not filled with the Spirit. They're filled with jealousy, they're filled with addictions, they're filled with other things. And one of the reasons why the church has become impotent in our modern day is because we are filled with other things other than the Holy Spirit. You can be baptized in the Spirit, but not filled with the Spirit. I want you today to be filled with the Spirit. Because it's the Spirit who empowers us to live a sacrificial life. It's the Spirit that helps us raise seven stinking kids who I love with all my heart. 
I love one famous rabbi said, the reason why God gives us babies is to teach us how not to be a baby, right? <laughs> it's the love of God who empowers us to listen to our neighbor. It's the love of God who gets us out of our comfort, right? Wherein we listen to the Holy Spirit when he tells us to talk to so-and-so in the grocery store. Or maybe it's the love of God that so overwhelms us when we go to our place of work and we find that guy that we've always, he just, he's just rubbed us the wrong way. And it's God's love that empowers us to see that person in light of how God sees that person. It's the love of God that changes your heart towards your spouse. It's the love of God that changes your heart towards your kids. It's the love of God that empowers you in a concrete fashion to listen and to give your life away. This is what the church is called to implement. Yes, we have a monopoly on several things in this world. Not on power, but we have a monopoly on compassion. And it's compassion that changes the world. Come on, somebody. And it's compassion that is a soil by which miracles take place. And when we embrace the compassion that God has for us, and we begin to reflect that into the world, and into our families, and into our places of work, and, and into this city, that is when the power of God is released and that is when lives are changed and that is when Jesus is lifted up and that is when people who have drug addictions are set free and that's when thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. I want you to believe today that your significance is not about being significant. The goal is not about being famous. The goal is not about making money for yourself right. or having power so you can treat people like objects and things. Right. The significance of your life is learning to give it away. Right. Jesus said, if you want to come and follow me, you got to what? You got to die. Right. And here's the paradoxical, crazy thing about this. When you die, you live. Yes. You have life. Because what happens? You die to yourself. So Chris, are you saying, and this is where I close, are you saying that when I follow Jesus, I got to pick up my cross and die, deny myself and die, does that mean that I lose my sense of individuality? I say absolutely no. I think you become more of who you are. Guys, you are less, I'm, I'm, now I'm speaking to the culture. Hey, culture, you are less than who you desire to be because you've not learned how to love. When you learn how to love, you become fully who God has called you to be. Could you bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, I thank you for your grace. Could you take your hand and put it on your heart right now? I just ask right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would come. And you would in fresh ways reveal your love to us. But we thank you that this perfect love is like a circle. You come and love us. We taste and see how good this love is in our lives. And then we embody it, we practice it, we give it away. And I thank you that we would find ourselves in this circle of love. Lord, I thank you the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit comes to pour out this love in our hearts. And I thank you today you would pour it out. Lord, you would remove confusion. You would remove jealousy. You would remove the cancer of bitterness and resentment from our hearts. Some of, some of you, I don't know why I'm saying this, but I feel like I need to say this. Some of you, as your eyes are closed, your life is, has been so, so shaped by bitterness and resentment. Something tragic has happened to you. You've been betrayed. Maybe it's just recent, maybe it's been some time, and it, this, this betrayal it haunts you. And you've become so enslaved to it. In fact, your heart has, has become resentful. This is not to condone what has happened to you, but I believe the Holy Spirit wants to bring healing to your heart. And if you want it, to set you free from that resentment and that bitterness, because there's no joy in it, there's no peace, there's no hope. And Lord, if there's anyone in this room that is experiencing that, Lord, I, th I thank you that they would know your love. 
Lord, I, I thank you that even this might sound really hard. We in no way condone horrible things. We actually condemn them. And everyone said amen to that. But I thank you, Father. And this is so radical about following you. You've called us to forgive. And I thank you, forgiveness is all about excluding, which is naming the evil, condemning it, but it's also about embrace, that we will learn to, by the love of God, forgive those who have betrayed us. And if there's anyone in this room like that, Lord, I pray that today they would find themselves in that circle of love, that they would know the love of God, that they would taste the love of God, they would see the love of God, they would experience it in their life, and then they begin to walk that out. In Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you would fall in a fresh way on this church. I declare today that we would be a church not of consumption, but of compassion. Lord, that we would see and not just feel love, but we would act on that love on behalf of those who are in desperate need of you. So we thank you, Father, that you are here and you are present today. And Lord, I thank you that your perfect love casts out all fear. So I take authority over all fear. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I thank you those who do not have a sound mind today would by the power of the Holy Spirit begin to think more clearly. I thank you that your love would come and cast out, do an exorcism on the anxieties that we feel in our life. Lord, that we would find ourselves in the circle of you loving us. And as your love takes over our heart, we begin to love other people. And as we do that, I thank you that you would break the power of fear and anxiety in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you that you would set us free so we can walk in your joy. Come on, somebody. In your peace as we sacrificially give our lives away. Yes, we're not called to be doormats. Yes, at times we say no to evil without question. But Father, I thank you. You've called us to give our lives away as we see you give your life away for us. So Father, I think you would help us practice your love in Jesus' name. Pray that this is a new day. New day, new day, new day, new day, new day over this church. It's a new day. Pour out your spirit. Fill us with your love, empower your people in Jesus' name. I declare the name of Jesus now over every fear. Everyone say fear. We declare the name of Jesus over that. We thank you that Jesus, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I thank you that you're greater than that phobia. You're greater than that fear. You're greater than that, than, than that anxiety. You're greater than that depressive moment. Some of you have been going through depression. I think I talked about this last week, but I think I need to pray about this again. I just ask you to lift off depression over your sons and daughters. Lord, I thank you that we would begin to see clearly again. Lord, come and reorder our inner life. Come and reorder our feelings, our emotions, our willing, our volition, our thinking today in the power or by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I declare no more fear in this place. I declare by the power of the Holy Spirit as we work with each other, as we work with good counselors, as we give ourselves to your word, I declare by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are going to be a free people. And you're setting us free so we can free other people. Jesus' name. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. No more fear, no more anxiety, no more depression. If it's a spirit, we take authority over that in Jesus' name. If there's anyone here today that has been contemplating taking your life as your pastor, or maybe this is your first time, I'm just going to say it, this is from the Holy Spirit, that that thing you are thinking about that goes through your head over and over and over like a bad song, that does not come from God. You need to hear this. That does not come from God. That is a lie. Everything that you think about the future as hopeless, everything you think about yourself as hopeless, that's all a lie. And the Holy Spirit is here today and he wants to tell you that I love you and that I have a plan for you. Don't give up. I'm gonna do something special in your life. So if there's anyone like that, I pray that you would set them free from that spirit of death in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you 
that your love today in this room casts out all that fear in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Can you stand right now? We're gonna sing a song. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.